0: Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to another Deep Dive. This one is so much fun. We get to invite back the frontman for Cutting Crew, Nick Van Ede. So, always a charmer, Nick Van Ede, by the way. And we deep dive their second album, which came out in 1989, called The Scattering. Now this album, he freely admits on here, was a little bit of a sophomore slump. Not so much on their, because it's their fault. They weren't necessarily hurting for creative juices they just had different creative juices than they had before on the debut broadcast that had just died in your arms tonight one for the mockingbird and been in love before they were just kind of going in a different direction and music in general by the late 80s was going in a completely different direction so those two things didn't match up and the scattering unfortunately was not received well, however, dare, Die Hard Cutting Crew fans prefer the Scattering. That's the album they love. So he came back to talk about just the process of making the album that's considered a sophomore slump and what goes into it and how he was feeling at the time. He's talked about Broadcast a million times. So I thought let's talk about the Scattering and get to know that one a little bit and how that affected your life. Now they have a brand new album out called Ransomed, Healed. Restored, Forgiven, which much like uh, Wang Chung, when we had Jack Hughes on here last year, it's orchestrated versions of Cutting Crew songs. It's great. Wang Chung's album, Orchisography was also great. This is a really interesting new avenue that a lot of artists are doing. It's really good. I hope you will check it out. So we start out talking about that and then we deep dive the scattering, okay? Hope you guys enjoy this. Well, look, let's start with uh, the new album, it's uh ransomed healed restored forgiven i always have to look at it because i get those words backwards when i re-say it it's a beautiful kind of new orchestrated version of old songs uh old that doesn't sound right but anyway you know what i mean (laughs) i guess some of them are
1: oh i just died Something I can't get Broken hearts lie all around me And I don't see an easy way To get out of this Diaries sits by the bedside table Curtains are closed The cat's in the crate
0: What was the motivator to do this? And I have to ask because last year, Jack Hughes from Wang Chung was on here and they did something similar and it was really beautiful stuff. And so is yours. I wondered if you two had had a conversation because I know you're friends.
2: That's exactly what happened. Really? Yep. As you know, we, we play a lot with Wang Chung and uh-huh. um, they got signed to this label and suggested it to me. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that you dream of really the a label will call you out of the blue and say, would you like to make an album with the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra? <laughs> and you think, well, give me a second on that, you know. <laughs> uh, and it did happen like that. Um, I'd heard the, the Wang Chung um, album, and I knew that it was you know, different and challenging and you know, not... I mean, my rule of thumb, and I'm sure Jack's, uh, Jack and Nick's was from Wang Chung, but especially for me, was I would never, ever would want to make an album that was a kind of schmaltzy, you know, strings in the background like a kind of Saturday night TV show orchestra, you know.
0: Yeah, of course I'm listening to your new album with Wang Chung in mind and one thing that struck me when I listened to Wang Chung is that it was, not to constantly compare, but it was adding these layers of depths to pop songs that I didn't realize or had heard before like Everybody Have Fun Tonight or Hypnotize Me or whatever. When I listen to Ransomed it's almost a reverse. I'm really taken by the songs that I knew less about going into this album. Like for instance, I think my favorite track on the record is No Problem Child which is off of Grinning Souls which is an album I have and I've listened to but it's never struck me like it did here. Our
1: oh, little girl left alive to see
0: So it's this is really propping up some of the deeper tracks in your catalog that people may have missed and, shed, and shedding new light on those. It's really an important, it's really a beautiful thing to hear.
2: Yeah, well, well it was obvious they we were going to do the, the three, if there are three. You know, Died in Your Arms, Been in Love, maybe Mockingbird and the Big Three. Yeah.
3: That was going
2: to happen and I said to them, of course you can. You know, you're a record yeah. company, you want to make money. But, but let's dig deep and let's, let's uh, you know, a few songs that aren't the obvious choices. Plus there's a new song on there that Gareth and I wrote, Climb Aboard, with nice. uh, some string parts that hadn't been used before. And thank you for No Problem Child, that was a real journey and I tell you, that song see, the thing that happens is this I'm not sure about um, I'm sure every band in the world does this whether they put put it on the record or not I don't know, but these song arrangements have emerged over 35 years, you know, Died mm-hmm. in Your Arms is not quite the same Being in love before has a key change um, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we start with just piano at the front instead of the drums. and No Problem Child is another one where it's just H- homogenised? No, that's the wrong word. Um, what's the word? Um, not homogenised. Far from that. Anyway, it's it's grown and become something very different. And so the the new arrangement with the strings made it even bigger. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a two two-hander really. One is the band had already made the song bigger and better, and then. <laughs> put 80 people in an orchestra on top of it It sounds sounds fucking great right
3: right
0: well good so i mean i know we're all you know in lockdown besides putting the album out is there any what are some of the plans i I believe there's a three disc like box set offering that people can get off of your website if they want
2: there is they this record company they do a mix of everything i think they've done a mix of you know banjo banjo (laughs) I just died in your arms by the country fire. Um, Not quite, but uh, yeah, there's lots of lots of uh, versions of the of the tracks. Some remixes. A really good remix of one for the Mockingbird by my dear old mucker, my friend Terry Brown. Oh, very nice. And okay. I'll tell you a great story on that, and he won't mind this at all. You know, he's a... You know, he, well, he produced uh, the broadcast album and about probably 25 million Rush albums as well. Mm-hmm.
3: I remember. Um,
2: so he's still a very good friend, and I said, wouldn't it be great if, if you could get Terry to mix one of the songs that he mixed all those years ago? Oh. So, so we chose Mockingbird, and he makes his living now from being a very specific remixer. he'll... He will mix albums or he'll remix albums, and mostly in that prog rock genre. So when I said I want, can you mix Mockingbird? You know, and he said, yeah, fine. So he just did a mix of it. You know, it was a very good mix. And I said, no, 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 I want one of those old 80s 12 inch mixes. You know, <laughs> and he was like, what? I don't do that. And I said, yes, you can. And he said, oh fuck. Um, so he went up to his cabin in Canada and he gave us this track. I, it's my favorite moment well second favorite
3: moment on the whole album it's brilliant
0: brilliant wow okay i got to hear that i think there's also a disc that's a mix of just the orchestra without other instrumentation that's on right, it so, yeah, yeah. Kinds. okay well good so anyone who wants to keep tabs on counting or on a cutting crew there's a ransomed healed restored forgiven is brand new and out there we're going to talk about the scattering your good very good but troubled second album and uh i am curious so the question i want to know more than anything okay so how far after the broadcast comes out and you have three big hits do you decide that your the direction you want to go in next is the scattering
2: right so we had the hits we were more or less living in california um hollywood roosevelt hotel in a cabana room how about that Mm. playing um you know the big gigs as you it's all well reported with huey lewis and bangles our own gigs and yeah we were living the life then of course it was time for the next album there was this horrible hiatus where about two or three major things one was we fired our british manager because you know god bless him he he just wouldn't reach out to the states for American management to help us oh, and yeah. we were selling, you know, four thousand albums in America to every one we were selling in England. So yeah. it was an obvious choice, and he just he wouldn't get it together. So that happened, and that 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 was messy and, and unfortunate and expensive. Yeah, um, my dad dropped down dead in the garden, oh. and that was like three weeks before the Grammy nomination. So there were th- those three things are my memories of in that kind of trying to find yourself and work out where we're going to go next. Yeah. Um, and a very fa- fabulous story, really, about the, the, my dad dying and, and all that stress of having, you know, Madonna's manager phoning up, Bill Graham phoning right. me up, and um, my dad, you know, b- dropping down dead, was that I lost my voice, and we were just going into the studio to, to record the scattering. So we recorded, I think, five or six tracks where literally I was... <laughs> basically just singing something for the boys to play to, you know.
3: Uh-huh. Um,
2: and this is where the story becomes wonderful and kind of, you know, um, Game of Thrones-ish, you know. I, <laughs> I uh, said, look, I've got a feeling I can get this fixed. I know it's obviously grief or something. I know I haven't got nodules or this uh-huh. sexy stuff that you suffer from. I said, I'm really sure. So, And I used to get into Reiki healing all those years oh. ago mm-hmm. very you know a long time ago there weren't many reiki healers around so i went to this local lady that i lived you know it's like four miles from the studio and the guy said hello who do you want and i said i want to speak to margaret she, he said oh she's moved to the isle of skies really <laughs> <laughs> so i said, like, okay so i just called my called the band and i said i'm gone for three days uh-huh. get on with the record <laughs> and i drove all the way to the isle of sky knocked on the door, this tiny little cottage. I mean, this is a tiny, you know, this is a beautiful island up in the, what, four, 500 miles away. And she said, oh, hello, Nick, how are you? And I said, fix me. Uh-huh. And uh, I lay on the bed, and she did her magic, and I went back to the studio, and I swear on my, you know, what do you swear on? I swear on my daughter's um, good health. Yeah. But we went in the studio, and within two days, I was singing the opening verse of... The opening track here in the world.
0: Wow. That's funny because when you were, that's exactly the song that came to mind when you're telling this story because you've got those, hey, you know, those kind of, that
2: kind of yodeling, hey, hey yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 and was uh, he was back and it was, fine, and I don't ever want to compare myself with, with the greats, but it had a kind of Michael McDonald kind of huskiness yeah, to it. So yeah. I, I was over the moon.
0: That is great. That is great. Okay so uh let's talk about you know let's talk about that track in particular you call it you're in the wilderness. I know there is some we'll get to these. I know there are some songs on here that are very autobiographical of what's happening to you right at that moment. Is this one of them? Did you feel because of all the challenges you've just laid out that you were dealing with a year in the wilderness?
2: Yep. Yeah. Um it was, you know, the, the happiest of times and then also the bleakest of times and then of course all those things I'm sure you've heard this many times. Not just people talking about their sophomore album, you know, which is a Uh very North American uh, expression, but I know what it means. But it's also the fact that I knew about the sophomore album problem, you know. Uh (laughs) So I was was expecting it. I could see it coming. And of course, we had that thing where the record company got so fucking precious. Every time we would, you know, we'd send them a beautiful song like Everything But My Pride, which is, you know, one of the top songs I've ever written. Sure. And another song like the scattering, and they say, "Yes, good guys, but you know, not hearing that guy in your arms, you know." Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it would be okay. So they can say that once. They can say that twice. But please. So they basically kept us locked in the studio for a, nearly a year. Wow. And we lost a lot of time, a lot of ground, and yeah. it was um, who knows whether that spoilt it or whether that. But it certainly didn't help it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know John for one thing that we were looking out of the window, and listening to the radio in Britain at that time, and bands like Cutting Crew and uh, Johnny A's Jazz and ABC and all—they were just slowly fading away, and there was yeah. all this fantastic new urban music coming in. You know, just—and yeah. we, we were slightly not ridiculous. We never because we were a good band, and, uh-huh. and but 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 it was just tight. Things were moving on. Naina Cherry, Soul to Soul. Um, right. You know, it was that kind of thing, all these colorful new younger bands. So I think that over that two, two two and a half year period, it, it, it was almost like a change of a generation.
0: Yeah, I, could, I think you're absolutely right. Now, so I think I read somewhere in prepping, prepping to talk to you that, I don't know if you quoted this or what, but it was um, something where the record label comes to you and they say, We hear a second single, a third single, and a fourth single, but we don't hear a first single. Something like that, right? But what's interesting to me is when I listen to this album, to me, Big Noise sounds like a very worthy first single. I could now, granted, anyone who hears Big Noise and thinks, oh, this is that band I liked a couple of years ago, they're back, I'm going to go buy the album, is going to be kind of uh, surprised that the rest of the album is very different. So I don't know what the after effects will be, but to me, Big Noise sounds like a really great first single from a band that rocked just a couple of years ago. No? Did no one
2: ever talk about that? Exactly. No, they didn't. I call the broadcast mix album... I called Compos mentis um, mm. Kevin's album, and I called The Scattering the band's album. Now um, we had we eventually got American management during that period, and they were saying, Nick, 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 be careful. You wrote all the hits on the first album. Don't give you know. Don't start being too democratic. You know that mm. things work because they work. So there was lots of um, writing going on on that album, and I was over the moon. I could, you know I wanted much more input. The big noise is a Perfect example of Kevin. I mean, it's that's a really? Kevin song. Yeah, yeah. Kevin song. very musical. In fact, I can tell you, when he first moved over to live in the little house with me and my mum and dad, I mean, they didn't even have a house then. When we formed Cutting Crew, he was he had this very pretty song that went, and he kept playing it, and kept playing it. And I remember when we started to do the new album, I said, "What's that lick you did?" You know, three years ago. And then, of course, it's, it's the main riff on Big Noise. Wow! Wow! Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Was, um, it was a time when um, everybody, you know, success brings money, and people want to be involved in that that process. And I respect that totally. And so Kevin was writing, the Colin was writing, Frosty was even writing, um, for good or bad. But Kev, sure. you know, Kev Kev was a wonderful writer.
0: Yeah, and we should say we lost Kevin. You lost Kevin to cancer a number of years ago, and I, I everything I've read, I've read, and I think we talked about this too. It still greatly affects you. He was, in all accounts, your musical partner and your musical equal on this journey. Correct.
2: He was. He was everything really. And he, as you said, my dad died, so he kind of almost came into my life almost about that time. Yeah. He was about seven years older than me, so he was an older. You know, far, uncle figure, if you like, he'd hate that uncle. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you what, he was, and what uh, we can bring it back to today with, you know, being locked in, was he was the, the ex, the the excellent, <laughs> the excellent existentialist. I mean, uh. he could sit in his little crummy studio with his one guitar, his um, I don't know, his Aldous Huxley and his Kurt Vonnegut books. <laughs> and a spider on the wall, and he uh-huh. would be completely happy, you know. So, um, since we've all been locked in, I've had to be get a lot better at that. And I think I think of Kevin a lot during these times because yeah. he would just go, he'd just look up from his book and go, "Lock in, what lock in?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was made for this. He
2: was made for
0: this. That's great. You know, there's a one of the hallmarks of this album that I noticed this time getting ready to talk to you was how big and fantastic a lot of the backing vocals are. For instance Big Noise has them between a rock and a hard place which we're going to talk about in a minute. The do-do-do's in the year in the wilderness what, are these like the doo doo dos especially sound like, like black ladies from a local choir or something like that. Is that what was going on? Is that what you heard in your head when you were putting the album together?
2: I wanted it to change slightly we had toured uh, as of four-piece five-piece band no 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 girls nothing you know was just a basic lineup right but during that second album we wanted a bit of color literally so we had some um some girls come sing and again you know, there's no way nick can ever tell a story to you john without it having tangents but, <laughs> that's okay <laughs> so let's go to everything but my pride which you know okay. has has the huge bit at the end now What? My, I'll do my role first. So everything by my prime is Kevin married his high school sweetheart. So this is a girl that he's held hands with since he was 16, 17. Uh-huh. Stayed with her right through to the early 20s, married her. Two weeks after the marriage, he comes home, puts the key in the door, and he tells it so beautifully, you he can hear the echo. It just sounds different when he turns the lock. Yeah. And he opens the door, and she's cleaned the whole place out. He's taken everything. Really? Yep. And uh, never saw her again. That was that. So he told me this story, and, and together we sat down and wrote that song. Anyway, so that's the story of that song, which wow. was um, I think "Everything But My Pride" is a great title, and it, it, it sums is. it up beautifully. Kevin's all over it. So when it came to the end, he said, "Wouldn't it be great if we had like the, the wife, the bitching wife, you know, at uh-huh. the end there, screaming at me?" And Colin, the bass guitarist, said, I've got just the person for you And this little white cockney sparrow, as we say, a little tiny London girl, turned up, she must be, you know, four foot six tall. <laughs> and she says, All well, right I'll ever go that then, give me that song and of course you heard what she did. This is these remarkable yes, vocals. Yes. Well well the punchline is this. Come forward uh, to nine sorry, to two thousand and twenty with the ransom healed restored forgiven album and we are recording everything but my pride and i said to my wife nikki i said wouldn't it be great if we had jackie to come and sing on the album and she said do you know what i think somebody said she lives in in the same town as us in hastings in in sussex and i said you're joking no we tracked her down we booked her and she sang on the new album and as you can hear it's, it's just as feisty and big <laughs> that's the best yeah. i can't believe that amazing i i met her on the seafront in hastings and and uh she she didn't really remember too much about it she said who are you and i said uh-huh. i'm nick from cutting crew she went oh cool blimey yeah i remember you guys and I said, "Do you want to come and sing on the new album?" She said, "Which song?" I said, "The same one." He said, "Ain't you written any more lately?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good! Wow, <laughs> yeah, "Pride" was uh, like the one decent-sized hit off of this album. It hit number four on the Adult Contemporary chart. Was that the first single? Was that the did you, the record label just kind of throw up their hands and say, "I guess the best we're gonna do is"? pride not that pride's a, you know what i'm I'm, no, I'm I what tying mean, this back to the conversation i had earlier about the second third fourth single not a first one
2: yeah um I, nothing you say about the scattering can insult me john i mean it's all a bit of a you know i'm extremely proud of the album so yeah i'll take i'll take that to my grave it's just good how how it happened and how it didn't happen well you know is history no yeah. the first <laughs> the first single was here's another good story so we're being told by <laughs> and the record company, uh-huh. I can remember their names, but I'm not yeah. gonna share them. Yeah. That you know, go away and write another six songs and I was like, Okay. But Kevin and the band by this stage, you know, I'm probably the most disciplined in the band, you know, just trying to be business like about it and keep trying to get them to stay up late and not taking so much chemicals and, you know, let's yeah. keep our keep our concentration here. And one night Kevin said, Fuck this said, Look, I, I got this idea and we wrote within an hour between a rock and a hard place. And it's a song about, exactly about that moment. find a window Great that, screaming at the record company and kevin said hey i'm gonna play the rift to die in your arms at the front backwards so die in your arms is um, between the rock and places and as it goes i can't remember but yeah. you know, it's the same notes for back to front wow. we put a, a a track of a crowd you know live crowd in the background it's nice and live you can't even hear it but we turned it off. You, you'd miss it in the, in the record. Uh-huh. And we recorded it and sent it to the record company as, a, I mean, I swear, as a joke, just to tape,
3: uh-huh.
2: uh, stick it up your own, whatever. Right. And they said, fantastic, that's the first single. like, no, 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 oh, oh.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, they're they they're just so dumb sometimes. I, um, again, going back to this song and getting ready to talk to you, I think I read in several places where you had mentioned that it wasn't so much sung as spit out, that you guys were just so angry and sick of the whole ordeal that this is what came out, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, the record company were fantastic when we were having the hits. You know, we couldn't have worked for a better, and it was so beautifully timed and smooth. and, And again, I don't want it to appear one bit like I'm, uh, you know, kind of bit I'm not really bitter about the, the lack of failure on it. I'm I'm more just, it's just, I know what it is. When you spend all your life having failures and then suddenly, you know, after 10 years of doing every gig and every motorway with your, you know, all those stories, when you yeah. finally do get some success and you do sell 3 million albums and you do have a number one and a Grammy, you think it might give you just one just a tiny bit more power when it comes to the think. second album yeah. you know, when you look at u2 deciding to do this or depeche mode deciding to do that you think well now it's cutting Crew's turn," mm. and that never happened they just completely wrapped us up in cotton wool and frankly suffocated us
0: yeah yeah it doesn't make any sense i we've i've mentioned this several times probably to you as well as lots of the other guests have had on here that I am so confused by the by record companies who have a valuable asset in their possession and don't capitalize on that asset. Yes. You guys just had three big hits. You a number one. You can you are valuable to them, you know? You just have to play it right and they don't do it. And I never understand why they don't.
2: Well said and also, I mean, you know the old expression that you, you probably got you know, if it ain't great if it ain't broke don't fix it or something like uh, that you know right right well terry brown produced it he was the guy that rescued broadcast he was the yeah. guy after it was falling to pieces came in and made this great sounding album exactly how we wanted it got all of the love from the band had that lovely simpatico comes to the second album and they're like well we don't want to use him again
3: yeah yeah,
2: it
0: doesn't make any sense Why It seems, it, it should be so easy If you have a band who's willing to do it To just keep the train on the track It's, uh, but they they complicate it And I never know why I, I never understand why um, Wait, one, oh,
2: little, one little bit, sorry, just interrupt Yeah, one please little of, One little bit of um, power I did have Was when it came to that second album When they announced they didn't want to use Terry I said, well, can I choose then? And they were like, yeah, of course uh-huh. not and I loved um, Cougar Camp's albums. I always loved that. Oh, kind of raw. Yeah. And, you know, not fussy kind of thing. Everything that the scattering actually is <laughs> not Right. <become>. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I got Don Gaiman to come over, uh, who produced all the Johnny stuff. And this um, uh, wonderful Southern gentleman came and uh, lived in this studio with us for about two, two and a half weeks. We cut a couple of demos, which are actually on the Reeve, digitalized albums that were released about four years ago. Uh-huh. And then he was, we noticed he was out in the corridor on the telephone. And I think he was having some serious marital problems. Um, uh. And that was it. He came in one day and said, it's been nice working with you guys. Bye. <laughs> so the, no curse way. The, the curse of the producer struck again.
0: <laughs> wow. Don Gaiman. I love Don Gaiman. I love that work too. That, those, uh, Peak meloncap albums are so good i I would never have put you two together. that's great though
2: yeah, paper, paper and fire the album that was on that was the album we just finished when we yes. him. and I just said to him I said to Kevin trust me yeah. get in there we'll get some fantastic guitar sounds it won't be so much layering and kind of big puffy sounds it'll be much more going forward as it goes to going going wide and we started doing that and then as I said, bye bye don uh-huh
0: shoot that I I should give a little bit more background on the album while we're at it 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 reached unfortunately only as high as 150 in the <laughs> states I believe it came out in January of 89 but it uh I think that was delayed correct I mean it, it was supposed to have come out sooner than that but these the BS happening behind the scenes kind of pushed it back maybe even a year does that sound yeah. right?
2: So yeah. what are you saying, January 89, we were probably released, broadcast in, in America in 87, you know, so it's two mm-hmm. years nearly, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's too long.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if this was the thinking back then as it, as much as it is now, but missing the holidays, it's, a, January becomes like a dumping ground for, mm-hmm. you know, for the things they don't have faith are going to move any units over the holidays, Christmas. Mm-hmm. January is where they dump that stuff, and that's just unfortunate. Okay, now one other thing too. I don't remember the name of the studio this was produced in, but I think it was the only the second album ever made at that studio. Is that right?
2: Yeah, it was um, Curtis Schwartz's studio. He's a uh, local library music writer. You know when you hear the news and hear some music in the background. Yeah, he was doing very well. Wealthy young man, and he was young, fantastic engineer. So. We just moved into his house for four months, and it was the classic old country house with the big wooden uh, paneled room. You know, the drums sounded sensational. Um, I'll tell you a lovely drum story. Um, yeah. Frosty, our drummer Martin, was um, sponsored by, let's get this the right way around. Well, sorry, sponsored by Premier. Okay. And, but he had a Ludwig kit, which he always played. Ludwig, 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 everywhere he went. Frosty Ludwig, Frosty Ludwig. Uh-huh. So we're in the studio with his Ludwig kit, and he's got it phone rings, and it's the premier rep. Uh, Hi there. Um, I'm coming down to the studio today to take a few photographs with you. Is that okay? And Frosty went, shit, the, 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 the whole, re- the whole um, kit is still in boxes uh, in, the ga- in the garage of the studio. And he said, so where are you? He said, oh, I'm just getting off the train now, getting a cab. Be with you in about 25 minutes. <laughs> uh oh! so we are, were running up the garden getting these boxes out and hiding his uh, you know his other kits and uh, as the man arrived Frosty's sort of sitting there sweating just tuning it and you can hear this kind of boom, <laughs> because...
0: <laughs> they're fresh out of the box <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: <wonderful. laughs> oh that's great that's great okay yeah, so- yeah, it was a great studio, and we did. We had a lot of fun. Did a lot of good work there. Um,
0: what was the first album ever made there? Do you know?
2: No, the first album was made. You tell me where it wasn't made. Um,
0: no. no, 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 no. I mean the first album made at that studio, because yours oh, was the me. second.
2: I think. I think that could well be right, um, or at least the first album by a, 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 a inverted commas named rock band. Uh, I mean, maybe. Yeah.
0: Okay. Maybe the first thing out of there was something completely different. Okay, let's talk about the scattering. That was, I'm looking now, I guess that was the second uh, single out of, off the album. this is one of your favorite songs you've ever written yeah. and uh, tell us the story behind The Scattering I read about it to get ready and it's a really interesting idea what sparked it?
2: Um, probably reading Kevin was great at throwing books at me um, so I, I was reading a lot in those days um, I read the expression The Scattering which is well documented really but it's an, an Irish I think it's an Irish expression meaning you know when the kids leave the, uh, the villages to go and work in the towns in Ireland and then worse still leave the towns in Ireland, get on the boat and come over to Britain um, because there's no work, you know, so yeah. the villages die. Um, and this was something that I'd seen anyway with, because um, with I live in the middle of total nowhere in Sussex in England, so I could even see that first hand Kevin heaven responded totally because he's a Nova Scotian, so that's yeah. all Irish, Scottish, um pretty bleak you know when the, the docks were dying over there so it resonated it's a beautiful melody it's one of the prettiest melodies ever written and yeah. i think one of my best lyrics and, it, and it's uh as you know john when you try and tell a story in a song and you've got about five minutes tops that's tough and i and i really pulled it off so yeah of course we were huge rock stars then so we snapped our fingers and The whistle binkies came down from Scotland and that was a day I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, They were fiddle, uh, pipes, baran, um, maybe flute I think. There were five of them anyway. And um, you know, they they couldn't look less Scottish if they tried. You know, fantastic (laughs) beards Uh and straggly hair and they arrived about midday and I knew they had to catch the eight o'clock flight back so I'm getting all a bit nervous come on let's start setting up and of course the first thing they said was is there a pub nearby? (laughs) (laughs) of course (laughs) (laughs) we took them to the pub and uh, uh, they were respectful apart from Hamish the baran player who got completely pissed and uh, Uh. (laughs) we had to uh, record him separately from the rest of the Whistle Binkies, knowing full well that we would erase his part. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, it's a gorgeous song. I love it. it. We, we, we don't play it live often because it kind of needs that big production. Yeah. Um, although recently I've been playing it. I played it in Tokyo, just me and acoustic guitar. And it was
0: very nice.
2: one of a thousand people. That was beautiful.
0: Nice. Was it always meant to be the title track?
2: Um, you know me, John. I'm a, I'm a title person. And it just just had a kind of nice, you know, yeah, it was a nice title thing about it, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tell me about the album cover, by the way. So it's, you know, it's like pieces, fragments of all the guys in the band's faces, you know, pictures put together. Whose idea was that? What were some of the other options? What did, uh, is there a story behind the cover of The Scattering?
2: Mm I can't really sex that one up much, really. No. Oh, okay. Um, it, was, it was probably six or seven and we chose that one. Listen, let's, let's get this straight, right? I mean, we were very, you know, 37 years later, we still get hundreds of thousands, and I mean hundreds of thousands of messages on, on the various platforms, you know, from fans who love us as a great live band, as a great recording band, great songwriters, a band that seems to have against all odds survived you know because we made that sound that didn't really date as much yeah. as others but we were not an image band you know we uh, were we were a bunch of guys that got together and had a great time and every time it came to a photo shoot you know there'd be somebody putting us in new jackets and new this so <laughs> <we're>... <laughs> yeah. sometimes, sometimes reluctantly um, uh uh-huh. So let's, when it came to the artwork side of things, it was not our finest moment. So that was probably the best of a bad lot.
0: Oh, I've, I don't have a problem. I think it's a great looking album cover. I just wondered what the story was.
2: You know? I think it's a great looking album cover, but that's because we cut it into pieces. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's great. Okay, I want to read some lyrics of yours. I assume they're yours. Maybe they're Kevin's. I want to read some lyrics to you real quick. So the, so- the song... Uh, Handcuffs for Houdini. Don't talk about
1: commitment. Don't talk about it here. Don't talk about the Russians. Don't mention the fiends. Don't talk about the black man. Don't talk about the road. It only causes problems. We got plenty of those. don't talk.
0: first verse to you and tell me if it doesn't sound like today's world don't talk about commitment don't talk about it here don't talk about the Russians don't mention your fears don't talk about the black man don't talk about the rope it only causes problems we got plenty of those and I was so struck reading that stanza getting ready to talk to you because Russians black men ropes at least in America these are still at, these could not be hotter topics today, and you wrote those words or somebody did 32 years ago. Yeah, that's very, crazy.
2: Yeah, very um, very sort of almost makes you shiver, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it does.
2: Um, also, that uh, don't don't uh, talk about your fears. Um, that was nearly queers as well. You know, we were really, really? pushing the pushing the envelope Ooh. back then trying to you know be. To make the fact that all these issues that were out there. So, yeah, that was Kevin. Kevin's song, eighty uh, percent really. I'm sure I was in there helping, especially with his lyrics, like like the edit of Queers to Fears, uh-huh. um, uh, for good or bad. But yeah, no that's Kevin. That's um, wow, a, a, re- a remarkable lyric, um, an audible song. I mean, that's one of the songs that's been voted the the, the the cutting crew track that doesn't sound like cutting crew.
0: Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Thank you. Thank you for spotting that. These are extremely, um, extremely what's the word? God, let's hope we get through it all and we come out the other end with, with yeah. a lot of um, a lot of humility and a lot of healing and things moving forward, especially on the, the Black Lives Matter side. But Kevin grew up in North America, you see, um, uh-huh. he was a Canadian. I, that that whole take is so crucial on on the way he saw things whether it be you know with a wink in his eye or whether he was being dreadfully serious
0: mm-hmm yeah I was really struck by that because uh, Very yeah everything sounds just like it and uh, you know the, the the title of the song is it's like handcuffs for Houdini this whole thing is a con and as you know that's what you know naysayers want to call what's happening in our world right now i just i was shocked by all the prescient you know uh, lines in this song um it's a crazy time i i can't wait for it to be over so anyway okay i want i had let's talk about reach for the sky This is uh, a very kind of uplifting, you know, like, uh, you know, believe in yourself. That's what it sounds like, you know, yeah. one of these kind of And I wondered if you wrote it for someone in particular.
2: Yeah, I did. Um, by the way, this is my mu- my mom's 86 and has survived COVID and, you know, will. And, you know, I was up there yesterday and I said, i've just come up to mow the lawn Mum. remember she's 86
3: uh-huh.
2: and she said no i've just done it that's okay you know
3: she,
2: oh, wow. and yes. it's one of those electric uh, one of those you know, petrol mowers you have to pull it uh-huh. um, she, she's an amazing woman anyway that's her, Good that, for her. Uh, that's her that's the song you're gonna when i finally kick the bucket that's the song <laughs> you're going to play all right so, um, <laughs> So it's already booked, Reach for the Sky, I'll get my final PRS on that. Yeah. Got
0: it, got it. Yeah, what's the story there? Did you, who'd you write it for?
2: Right, so there's a theme um, throughout a lot of my lyrics, which I hope they all kind of have different faces, but if you think of the first album, you know, Don't Look Back, One for the Mockingbird, it's the Ad's Favorites album, you know, The Biggest Mistake of My Life, but all these things about just get get on with it, you know, get out, uh-huh. pick stuff up, dust yourself down, whether it be from catastrophe or love affair or or whatever, and I was dating a girl. This is way back, way way back. Um, dating a girl before you know my anybody that I'd met meant a lot to me. And she said, "Ah, oh, you know, Nick, I love you so much." And I um just this town that we live in is so small, and uh, you know, I just feel like I'm being crushed, and I want to spread my wings. So I said, you know spread your wings, you know, don't look over uh-huh. your shoulder, reach for the sky. And of course, she left me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you say so, Nick, I'm out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in touch with her, actually, as a, a friend, and I told her that story about 15 years ago. She thought it was hilarious.
3: Um, That's great.
2: So, yeah, it's, it's, again, I think one of the prettiest songs I've ever written. Um, uh-huh. My first ever roadie that we brought up from the pubs with us, and toured America with us and went on to be tour manager for Steve Winwood, Peter Gabriel. You know, oh. he did really well in the business. Mm-hmm. He, his father was a, a parson and
3: mm.
2: his father christened my daughter Lauren and he died about six or seven years ago. Mm. And John called me and said, would you like to sing Reach for the Sky for Percy? And I said, wow, yeah. Yeah. So, but we want you to do it a cappella, and we want you to do it in the church, the chapel where he's being buried. And I said, "Where's the chapel?" And they said, "Oh, didn't you know he was the parson for the Tower of London?" No. Yep. Yeah. So what? I, I walk in, and there's you know the famous beef eaters, these people that wear red and the black. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. They stand across the aisle. Who comes here? And I was like, "Hello, I'm Nick. I'm singing with." You know, da, da, da. And then they they walked me, accompanied me up the aisle and sat. And one of them stood, guard, sort of guarding me with this, um, this spear. I don't know what you call it. There's a, there's a better name for it. And then when the when the service said, and now there'll be a singing from Nick Van Ede of his song, Reach for the Sky. And I stood up and this, this D-seater accompanied me up to the top where I sang the song. Wow. Pretty yeah. Oh. Really amazing. Acapella. Acapella. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's incredible.
2: Yeah. That song's got a lot of, a lot of stuff around it. Um,
0: yeah, sounds like it.
2: And also, finally, just to say that we've played that song live, twice.
0: Only twice. Yeah. Ever.
2: It's, oh, it's almost impossible to sing live for me. And we'd I have to take the key down and everything, and I never do that. I always think that's cheating. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I never okay. it. Twice.
0: That's uh I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that I wanted to ask about that. This I feel like the Scattering is the album that the true deep cutting crew fans love the most, you know? And I wondered if what song on here tends to be their favorite. Do you have a sense of that?
2: Over the years, probably Pride and Scattering, just because yeah. there were videos of those, so they kind ah, of good point. Exist, you know, they exist yeah. in our new world. Right. But um Year in the wilderness was such an odd you know, when when that plays, I always get tingles because that was us coming back after having come from absolutely nowhere to, to you know, we conquered the world for a couple of years, just for a couple of years. And that was the first thing that those fans that we'd gained would hear of from us. And it was different. It was bold and um, it may not be as good as anything on the first album or it may not be as good as the Bon Jovi album that was released that week but that was (laughs) us trying that was us trying to just be a little different that was Kevin you see Kevin and me yin and yang we always always that's the way it worked I would keep the ship steady I would keep the melodies coming I would keep the the lyrics just you know enough to make the girls cry and the guys pump their fists but Kevin would never settle he always wanted to just keep pushing it out hence Handcuffs, Sahidi Got hence it. big noise. Hence, you know, yeah. Always trying new things.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, Year in the wilderness, I think, is my favorite song on the album, and I'm a, wow. I'm a big fan of track ones anyway. And I and I agree with everything you just said. I feel like this that song announces that you're back in such a powerful way. You know, I love that one thing I uh, so let's go from my favorite to what's probably my least favorite and that is uh, the last thing. <laughs> I should say every time i mention that to somebody on one of these deep dives it ends up that i'm my least favorite is their favorite or their fans favorite or whatever and i don't mind and i should clarify too that never means that i don't like the song it's just a, compared to everything else it's my least favorite one um that one to me sounds the most like a straightforward kind of pop ballad of the era and i'm a big fan of saxophone but i wondered if there is a, like, is that real sax on this song? Or was that, you know, what's the story?
2: Uh, well, this has never been told, this story. So this, this is your exclusive. Real. Okay, good. First of all, I would have put a hundred bucks on that you would have said the last thing. Um, <laughs> even tip of your tongue, which I think is not one of my finest moments. Um, but at least it's honest and it rocks. Uh-huh. And everything. Um, feel the wedge, you know, a big, big, complicated song. Um, but uh, the story that's about the last thing is this. So, um, Dad had just died, so the lyrics, you know, Help me, Mama, through these things after you, help me, Mama. That's a lot uh, of looking to my mom and uh, family kind of lyric. And we went in, and I got a loop of When the Levee Breaks by Led mm, Zeppelin. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Perfect. That's my favorite
0: Zeppelin song, yeah.
2: Uh, you, you know that group. Right? <laughs> of course. That's- Curtis kind of copied it and made his own version because, you know, that phase, this was going to be the record. We didn't want to get into any sampling rights issues. So that loop goes all the way through it, and it's... I will wait for you. If you can imagine that. In the morning. (laughs) Really rocky, really tough, very cutting crew. Uh And um, that was the first song we recorded, and we put it aside. We didn't quite know how to finish it. (laughs) And then course we went around the houses 17 times back to front upside down and by that was the last and then we ended up finishing the album with the last thing uh it was the last track we recorded should i say <laughs> and um we didn't know who the fuck we were we were around yeah. and peter the keyboard player in the band then sat down and played this pretty little little tune he got his mate to come in and play saxophone the the, the saxophone player had to leave so the very last line, well spotted, is fake, Sax.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> I wondered.
2: <laughs> it, everything I hate about um, about what what cutting crew shouldn't be, and it managed uh-huh. to get on the record. We should have just dumped it for Christ's sake, you know. Yeah. Um, but just to finish, if you go to that remastered album, you'll hear the original um, last thing, and it's called No Secrets.
0: Oh. Oh. So, I, okay. Okay. I'll seek that out. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't mind it, but it's the least interesting of all the songs, I think, yeah. on this album. Everything else seems to have a very specific point of view or story, and this one is, I don't know, sounds the most kind of normal, I guess.
2: Yeah, no, I'm yeah. absolutely uh, happy with that. Happy, I mean, I'm okay about that. Okay. I mean, the one, the one song that, I have to go back to your previous question, one of the songs that gets most comments almost as much as you and The Wilderness and maybe The Scattering is the, the weirdo uh, Bragg, you know, the very last
0: Yeah, that was, that's, yes, I was building up to that. It is a weirdo. What's the story of Bragg and why is it called that?
2: our mates, but mm. certainly nothing private. Um, so the band before Cutting Crew were the drivers mm-hmm. and we were this three-piece uh, sort of XTC meets the police meets uh, that kind of genre. Okay. And we had this one ballad, just one ballad after you know, <laughs> but an hour and a half of, one, two, three, pop! I mean, <laughs> and it was a great one-handed brag and it was this strange lyric I wrote about Napoleon Bonaparte um, um, and... So that, so that so it existed as a song called The Great One Handed Break. When we were recording The Scattering, Peter Patestia, producer, keyboard player, was with us, and I think by this time me, nearly everybody had gone to bed. It was midnight, and I said to Pete, can I play you a song from the past? And he was like, oh, yeah. so I played it badly on the piano. And he said, oh, so that's beautiful. That's beautiful. i love it. Can we record that now and see what happens in the morning if we like it? Curtis woke up he was probably asleep under the desk mm-hmm. um, and we did it live looking at each other right next to each other you can hear me turning the, um, the page you can hear the, the sheet music moving at one Ooh. point I swear I swear I swear I swear that is a live performance and I think I overdubbed oh. everything else was just me and him really? candles about one in the morning
0: Wow Man, that's beautiful.
2: Yes. I'm very, very proud of that because, um, mm. uh, proud of it, not just because, yeah, hey, we, we pulled it off, but again, you know, we played it to the boys in the morning and, uh, all three of them were like, my God, you know, that, that's nice. really special. And I said, well, I promise I'll put it right on the very end of the album. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, let so this is a, at least the second, maybe even the third song that mentions Russians. Is this, uh, you know is this just cold war paranoia kind of you know penetrating everything and everyone's thoughts at the time is that what is going through your mind
2: yeah well I was born in the 50s wasn't I I'm an Englishman born in the 50s you were having your well you had your, your Moscow problems um, yeah but where you were having maybe your civil rights issues and things like that which I had no you know I, I knew of it but it didn't touch my life one bit you know we were over in jolly old England. But over our way, we had Spies and, uh, you know, Espionage and James Bond, and it was always the Russians were the bad guys.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wondered if that was kind of the motivator there. Another one, um, you know, speaking of songs like Scattering or Feel the Wedge or whatever, there is a big sound, and that was very prominent at the time with bands like the Alarm and Big Country and Simple Minds and You 2 Were you, was that an intentional uh, goal of yours, to sort of sound like those guys? Or is that just, you know, the production styles of the time? Do they have nothing to do with each other? What's the thinking there? Okay,
2: so the broadcast album, we had no idea what Cutting Crew were gonna sound like, really. You know, I had written Died In Your Arms, I'd written one for The Mockingbird, I'd written I'd Been In Love Before. It wasn't really until Terry started you know, recording that we went, oh, well, that's how we sound, okay? Because mm-hmm. we didn't do demos, you know, this was mm-hmm. such a quick thing that the record deal was purely on the strength of us playing in front of record company bosses with the four, five songs I'd already written, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a dream start. So when we made broadcast, that's, that's it. Okay, well, that's how cutting Crew sound. But always, John, always. I was always wanted it to be a harder sound because the drivers, as I said, had come, I'd come from a really, really scruffy, scrappy, you know, that's why I wanted Don Gaiman to get involved.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: But on the other side, the yin and yang, Kevin was listening to King Crimson and Robert Fripp.
3: Ah, uh, mm.
2: Um. So, and nothing wrong with that. And that's how we were down the middle there. So you'll hear me always pulling it, just frosty play harder on the drums. Um, get that big, edgy sound, but then it would suddenly turn a corner and go into kind of a funny key change with some strange motifs, and mm-hmm. that's Kevin and Peter Vitesse
0: doing their stuff.
2: Got it. Okay. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, I, I am still curious, though. I mean, so that is just sort of what... Those are production techniques. You weren't aiming for the big music sound that was prevalent from those bands I mentioned okay. earlier?
2: Uh, everything... Apart from maybe you know the, the the scattering, which had that kind of maybe simple mindsy kind of thing going uh-huh. on, um, but that's more from just borrowing from folk, you know. True. The the one song that was on, done on purpose to sound like North American rock, AC, we got AC rock, was done as I said earlier, tongue in cheek, and that was between a rock and a hard place. Okay. And, yeah. And it and you know the video, oh my God, John, the video, we um we again I said to you earlier about thinking you have a little bit of power so we we got in touch with um the director damn i can't remember who did it i think it was david hogan okay. yes, it was david hogan and um he'd done um i've been in love before on any color from the first album we loved him and we said look can we do a very british thing here you know make fun of you you mtv guys and that is uh-huh. you know do the, do the big close-ups of the band live you know the biceps and the uh-huh. The, girls, the girls on the side of the stage with the long legs. So we got all that, and then Kevin said, but you know, but then pull the camera out, and there's nobody there. There's no, it's just a guy with his dog, you know, and, uh-huh. uh, that kind of thing. You know, but not, not the first time it's been done, but we wanted to kind of pull the rug under this thing. Um, David said, that's great, I'd love to do that. I know you guys, you're British, I love your sense of humour, let's do it. We got out to Long Beach or wherever it was and we filmed it. None of that happened, it's like... Uh-huh. The girls were there with the big tits, and there was a fake crowd, and there's uh-huh. Nick Nick signing autographs, you know, so, hey, power my ass.
0: Hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Well, good. Okay. Well, what do you think, uh, I mean, after this album, that was basically it for you guys in the States. The Compass mm-hmm. Mentis came after, and I love that album, but I don't think it was even released in America. I don't know. No one's. No one knows that album very well, and that was pretty much the end of it. You know,
2: it was. We um, <clears throat> Colin Frosty left between scattering and Compass Mentis. Um, Not no big row or anything, but mm-hmm. you know they they weren't making money from the songs, so they needed to work. And yeah. um, Kevin and I were the main writers, so we carried on. Um, we did our best on Compass Mentis. It's got some fine songs. Uh, Chris Neal produced it. Frigid as England, I think, is a song that should always have been a, a single. And I one day I think I'm gonna release it myself.
3: Good move. Yeah. Um,
2: COVID Records or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's great. Um, well, good. yeah, and then it was all over. We were we we'd done that album. That I think it's been well documented, but on the day that we more or less delivered the album, you know, we were just sitting in the studio, Jimmy Jimmy Page's old studio, the mill Studios in near London, and we're sitting there, basically, you know, packing our bags, ready to say, "Okay, we've finished the album." And these very suspicious-looking men in suits came in with their briefcases, and they were taking the tapes away. And that was the day that um, Branson was bought by EMI, oh. and they they fired overnight about 120 bands. Oh man! So that was it. They took They took my album. They paid me the release money, of which. I don't want it to sound crass. I don't. I didn't need. I uh-huh. just wanted my fucking album back. You yeah. Know? So yeah. they sat on, it and sat on it and sat on it and sat on it.
0: Oh, what a nightmare. Uh, all you guys' stories of the music business just blow my mind. They sound so horrible most of the time.
2: Well, we're privileged to work in this industry, you know, and I don't mean that in any kind of, um, oh, let's make it all sound holy holy, but we are. That's all yeah. I've ever done since I was 17. And, even now, you know, in these awful, shocking times, I'm talking to you and I've got another few to do. And tonight I'm going to go into my studio. And, you know, so what a beautiful, yeah. beautiful life I lead. But there's a lot. Do you know what it is, John? It's not so much the disappointments, it's not so much the, you know, the, the bitterness of being treated some ways. It's this. And you can quote me on this, you can call it, you can title your interview if you want. <laughs> it's the, the fact that they waste. So many years of your life. These yeah, moments.
0: Yeah, that's it. You know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yep, I agree. Perfectly said. Well, uh, thanks for doing this with me. I I figured you were just sick to death of talking about broadcast and uh, just died in your arms, and I thought let's shed a light on the next one on the scattering yeah. and talk about the new album in the process. So thanks for doing this with me, Nick. It worked out beautifully.
2: Thank you. I enjoyed it, and if I and I wanted to, cut, I want to just you know bracket it with the fact that I'm a very happy, very, very jolly chap. We've got into a few Absolutely. sort of, few sort of uh, uh, bitter moments tonight. and But I'm very happy with the new album. And Ransomed, Healed, Restored, to Forgiven is actually a line from a, a Christian hymn. A very, very famous. Really? Uh, in British churches, we have a song called Praise my soul, the King of Heaven To his feet thy tribute bring ransomed healed restored forgiven and i thought it was a really cool title because you know when you're re-recording old songs you're well you're ransoming it you're you're restoring it yeah healing it and hopefully the fans will forgive me (laughs) that is beautiful
0: i had no idea beautiful Alright, there you go. Nick Van Eed, The Scattering. I hope if you are not familiar with The Scattering, I hope you heard hope you heard some things in here that you liked. And you'll go check that album out because it really is kind of a hidden gem. It may not be for everybody, it's a pretty heavy album comparatively, but it's really good. And so, uh, as Cutting Crew fans will tell you. So anyway, I hope you heard some things in here that you like and you will seek this out. And by all means, check out the brand new album from Cutting Crew, Uh, the website where there is a three-disc special edition available. The link for that is in the description of this show right here, okay? So tap on that if you want it. Anyway, next week, if all goes well, again, with our schedules, we have another deep dive scheduled, I believe, for next week, which is I brought back a, a producer to deep dive a band's, well, it's it's a compilation album. It's not necessarily a greatest hits. Uh, it's more of a compilation um, of a very British band from the last 40 plus years who um, uh, started to get big in America, and so they made a compilation of their work, and the producer of that music is coming back on, and we deep dive that, okay? It's great. I don't know if that confused you or if you figured it out, but anyway, you're going to want to hear this. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Malkiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. Love you all. We'll talk to you later.